With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Thank you for joining me. Happy Friday to you. It's the Friday before the Super Bowl. Bengals Rams on Sunday. Huge halftime show. Uh, and But you know what? The Super Bowl, the halftime show won't compare uh, to this very special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We're going to do something I normally don't do. We're going to cover a lot of topics today. Uh, I like to go deep on one or two topics. Well, today there's just too much going on uh, to limit uh, what we talk about. There was a super trade in the NBA, and I know we don't talk a great deal about the NBA, but we got two former uh, high-level basketball players, uh, Rashad McCants and Royce White, that come on the show regularly with us. We can't pass up talking about the uh, James Harden, Ben Simmons, Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia, 76ers trade, uh, that's probably the biggest story in sports, not related to the Super Bowl. Uh, and we got the perfect guys to talk about it. Royce White, uh, I want to engage with him about Ben Simmons using mental health as an excuse, basically, to force his way out of Philadelphia. Uh, and James Harden's kind of laid down this year and not played very well because he's been frustrated with the Brooklyn Nets and maybe frustrated with Kyrie Irving. And so we'll get into that with uh, Royce. And then we'll bring in Rashad McCants and talk about the actual trade and what impact, uh, who, who, who got the best of the trade, who would you bet on? I think the Nets have lost like 10 straight. They've been, you know, Kyrie's not available all the time. KD's been hurt. Uh, but anyway, I still kind of like the, the, the Nets. Uh, TJ Moe is going to join us, and we're going to talk about uh, Mike McDaniel, the new Miami Dolphins coach. He said something very interesting. We'll play the clip uh, at his opening press conference with the Miami Dolphins. He talked about his race. And I love the way he talked about his race. Uh, I, kinda, I think I like Mike McDaniel. I think I might jump on team Mike McDaniel and be rooting for him. But stick around. Wait till you hear what he had to say and how he addressed the race question. His dad, I think, is black and his mom is white. He addressed this issue very forthrightly. Wait till you see that. We'll get into that with T.J. Moe and a little bit more about NBA, I mean, NFL and leadership. Uh, commanding respect versus demanding respect. We'll do that with T.J. Mo. The Korean Cosell, he's going to be here as well. We'll talk some Super Bowl. Uh, we'll pick the Super Bowl uh, winner. Uh, I'm sure I'll be right and Kim will be wrong. But what I'm most passionate about and can't wait to get into with uh, the Korean Cosell, uh, the NFL announced its Hall of Fame class last night, and no one – takes the Pro Football Hall of Fame 
more seriously than I do or I did. They've turned this thing into a joke. And I'm going to go off and get into that uh, with Steve Kim. And then we're going to let uh, Shamika Michelle come in and kind of clean things up. And <clears throat> they had a little press conference yesterday about the Super Bowl halftime. Dr. Dre and Snoop and Mary J. Blige were all on stage. And Dr. Dre talked about how professional they were going to be. And then he said he had to talk uh, Snoop and Eminem out of from pulling their penises out. I, I, I'm not joking. We'll play the clip. Judge for yourself. Shamika and I will talk about it. So awesome show. I don't, because there's so much news, I don't have a fire starter, but I am going to light some fires throughout these conversations with Royce, Rashad, TJ, uh, Steve Kim, and Shamika. Uh, particularly when the Hall of Fame conversation comes up, I'm going to be on fire. I may cry. That's how seriously I take the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, but first, we'll talk about the 76ers, Brooklyn Nets, and we'll do that with uh, Royce White, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first-round picks sent to Brooklyn for James Harden and Paul Millsap. James Harden now paired with Joel Embiid. Uh, that's supposed to be some kind of classic, damn near Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar pairing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, Royce, I want to talk with you about Ben Simmons. And I think there's a lot of people, uh, depending on how soon Ben Simmons takes the court, but I, I'm not even sure if it matters when he takes the court. Uh, he's claimed mental health issues. He clearly was just trying to force his way out of Philadelphia. Uh, has, has Ben Simmons done any damage here to athletes claiming mental health issues? Do you buy Ben Simmons' mental health story? Let me start with this, okay? Mental health is a complex issue in the context of sports especially. Um, but but in the context of, of being human. And I think all of those players, deal, they have a mental health first and foremost, as do all of us who are watching. And some of them deal with mental health issues, um, some worse than others, some who don't really know to call it mental health issues. But, but by and large, all of us will really deal with mental health issues at some point in our life or another in some different form or fashion. I will say that when it comes to Ben Simmons specifically, I hope, I hope that he didn't use mental health to force a trade and negotiate this, 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 this exit from Philadelphia. But I will say that my default position when somebody says they're having mental health issues is to believe that they are, uh, because in the worst case scenario, like many have suggested around Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons' situation, even if somebody is lying about having mental health issues, we can extract that they have mental health issues from them doing that, right? And that's a little bit of a nuanced way to look at it. But, but all in all, if you're lying about, about having a mental health issue, uh, then you do have some mental health issues, no doubt. And, and ultimately, I think if he did falsely use mental health in the current scope of the mental health conversation, especially as it pertains to sports, improperly to force his way out, he's done major harm to the mental health conversation. 
And it's one that I took a bullet for. So I, I definitely take offense to that. If he does have genuine mental health issues beneath the surface that 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 we don't understand, I'm not close enough to him to know about that. Uh, and, and I hope that he's healthy now. And I think he does have a lot to still contribute to the game of basketball. So I hope he's healthy now and I, and I hope he moves forward. Royce, what do you say to some old dude like me that sits there and says, whew, the mental stress my mama was under when my parent, when her and my daddy got divorced and it was me, her, and my brother and she had to take a second job and uh, she didn't take no days off despite whatever mental stress she was under and, you know, and I'll even go a step further, and not that I'm any type of hero, but I've, I had the Omicron variant two, three weeks ago, and it's left me with a foggy brain. I'm not thinking as clearly, I can't focus as well as I had previously. I, I, I feel like I'm kind of on the other side of that, but I've struggled with it the past couple of weeks. I still showed up and did my job. And, and that's, people have been dealing with mental health issues while continuing to work for as long as I can remember. Tell me why my thinking is old and outdated and unhealthy. Uh, I, I just, I, you know, I don't even, I just see it as a grown-up's um, responsibility to be, yeah reliable, available, put the work in, but I'm, I'm, I'm just an old fart, man. To set me straight. No, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think that you're off track with that. I think that there is, th there's, there's two sides to the coin when it comes to mental health or, or just work in general. I, I think our American culture has lost uh, its sense of how important an honest day's labor is and, and how, how good that can be for your mental health or just for your overall, you know, spiritual health and just clarity in life. So, so I think we've lost that. But some of that does have to do with the same corporatocracy who would use a person like Ben Simmons not showing up to work and then appeal to a working class who's disenfranchised economically to say he's rich. You make pennies. You should be mad at him because we're in a negotiation spat. Right. So I see that little game that's played. And, and so and as an athlete, and I know you, you you played in sports as well. There's this sort of cultural bait and switch played on us where as spectators and as fans, we have to give this, this sort of grace to the establishment and the organizations when they when they position a player in a way that makes that makes it so that you know we say about the player, well, he's not loyal. Winning's not his main priority. He's selfish. He's a prima donna. He's a diva. He's a this. He's a that. But they operate only on business, right? And so, and they've made the NBA and pro sports hyper business oriented, but they never get a criticism of those same sort of moral cultural values that make us love our American athletes. And so my point to you is that in a case like Ben Simmons, let's just say he is faking. Let's just say he is you know, winning's not his highest priority. Let's say he's not the dog everybody wants him to be or that they pay for. Are we going to overlook the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers culture, by and large over the last 10 years, has been hyper business, that winning hasn't always been their highest priority? 
Ben Simmons was cultivated in a culture that says, hey, we could we could we could tank for two years. We could tank for two years because this is about business and getting the best draft picks. My point is this sort of anti-competitive spirit and ethos that's emerged in our pro sports had Sam Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers trying to cheat their way to victory. So why wouldn't Ben Simmons? Mm. Royce, that's why I had you on today. I knew you'd say something good. I knew you'd give me something, a different way to look at this and think about this. I wasn't prepared for that answer. Uh, that's a damn good one. Uh, you got anything and else you want to unsay before I let you go? <laughs> and ultimately, and ultimately, I will say that in, in the way Ben Simmons presented that he was having mental health issues does carry a sort of thread of dishonesty and disingenuousness from a perspective of him using it and saying the term mental health because it is supercharged in the media. And, and Rich Paul and the guys who are behind him knew to use that uh, in this particular situation. That doesn't mean he doesn't have mental health issues. It just means the intention and the motivation might not be on the up and up. Great stuff, Royce. Thank you. Uh, we got to keep it moving. I got a lot of people to get to uh, today. Uh, I want to, before I uh, move on to uh, Rashad McCance, I want to tell you about our good friends at Good Ranchers. Most of the meat that is sold to us at our local grocery stores is not what it seems. Much of it is mislabeled as having come from America when, in reality, it's been shipped here from overseas. That's why you need to see our friends over at Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat sourced directly from farms right here in America. You'll get the highest quality cuts of beef, chicken, and seafood, and you can get it shipped directly to your home. Plus, their packaging makes it easy to cook what you want and save the rest, which keeps you from wasting anything. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com fearless today to have the delicious American meats on your table. Order now with the code fearless to get $25 off your box. Now is the time to support American farms and ranchers. They're hurting and you're hungry. Solve both of those problems with a box of American meat. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Good Ranchers, a sponsor that supports you and our way of life. If you're a fearless soldier, if you want to be in this army, you need to be eating Good Ranchers. All right, we're going to move on to uh, Rashad McCants and kind of talk about the basketball aspect of the Ben Simmons, James Harden trade. Next. All right, welcome back. All right, let's go out to facts only. Let's go out to Las Vegas and bring in Rashad McCants, former NBA first-round pick, former player with the Minnesota Timberwolves, North Carolina uh, national champion uh, with Roy Williams. Uh, Rashad, I I'm going to take a little indirect route to what I want to talk about. Uh, I I'm going to broaden the conversation a little bit. James Harden. I... I, I He's been a dog this year. Numbers down, has wanted out, perhaps frustrated with Kyrie Irving, whatever. He wanted out. I think this hurts his legacy. What, what's, and I think if he doesn't go to Philadelphia and, and perform and deliver at least an NBA Finals appearance this year or next year, 
I, I, I'm just sorry. I just don't, and I know he's won the MVP, and I know he scored a lot of points, but I, I just, I don't see the greatness that everybody else sees. I, 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 I think this era of the NBA is very difficult to judge. Very, it's, it, it's the equivalent of what's going on in football with the quarterbacks and the numbers they're putting up in comparison to the guys that played 20, 30 years ago when you could actually tackle the quarterback. <laughs> I, I, I see the same thing in the NBA. It, it, it's like James Harden is, is, is somewhat of a gimmick. And, and Russell Westbrook is another guy that I think hopefully this year has been completely exposed as more of a gimmick than an all-time great basketball player. Am I crazy for thinking that? Well, listen, I don't think you get enough credit for being the Nostradamus that you are, Jason. You've already made predictions this year that's holding up. I think, like, if we could actually like reverse the tape or something, we could do something to, you know, go back to when you you talked about Westbrook at the beginning of the season. You talked about how it was going to be abysmal for the Lakers, and it was the the worst choice they could do, the worst direction they can go in. Now you're here talking about one of the biggest trades of all time, and it's being the biggest fallacy we've ever seen, like. This is not a good trade for Philly. This is going to be really bad for Joel Embiid because he has an expectation that he's formed around this team that just has a winning spirit without Ben Simmons. And to have James Harden, another distraction, come in and inject himself into a situation where we got this. Joel is the guy. Ain't no distraction. Give him the ball. We're going to work through him. Now you got James Harden who needs the ball, who needs attention, who doesn't play defense, who doesn't have team accountability, and now he's in a comfortable place with a guy like Doc Rivers who doesn't give none of his players accountability, and it's going to be it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. And I think Brooklyn wins because they get Drummond, they get Ben Simmons, which Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and uh they get uh, uh the first round picks. But let's go to Ben Simmons. Why Ben Simmons loves this situation is because everyone hold thinks that— Hold for one second. Hold for one second, Rashad. Hold, hold on. Because I, I don't want you to leave this Philadelphia situation alone just yet. Because you also left out the element that he has this general manager, team president, whatever, Daryl Morey, who absolutely loves him. And so yes. James Harden is showing up today thinking, this is my team. I think that's the point— perhaps you're, you're making is like, hey, that's Joel Embiid's team, yes. but the general manager is in James Harden's hip pocket and needs to have James Harden happy and not forcing his way out of there because Daryl Morey has mud on his face. And then you got Doc Rivers who doesn't, without uh, Tom Thibodeau, he's kind of struggled with putting pressure, yes. proper pressure on players. Uh, I, I, I could I could just see this going very poorly for the Sixers. Oh yeah, they put like I said, they put themselves in a position to be positive and have confidence going into the postseason. James Harden disrupts that even with his time at, at Brooklyn. Like if you had a problem with a teammate and it affected your play and how you approach the game, 
you're going to have a worse time with Joel Embiid because he's locked in like never before. He used to be immature. He used to need to get over that threshold level of leadership, but now he's there. He is locked in. And James Harden's going to come in and demand that it be my team now. I get to have triple doubles. No, no. This is this is 90s basketball that they're doing in Philly right now. James Harden don't fit that threshold. He is a distraction, period. No matter how many points he scores, he's not a championship player. Daryl Moore is not a championship GM. And you look at the organization as a whole, it's not a championship organization. Doc Rivers is not a championship coach. So you look at it, it's all a fallacy. It's set up to be a fallacy from the start. Uh, Now we'll move on to Ben Simmons. How much pressure do you think there is on Ben Simmons and and can, will he be able to live up to that pressure? Is he a good fit for Brooklyn? Ben Simmons is a good fit for any team. This is what's crazy to me about basketball right now. Ben Simmons doesn't have to shoot a three-pointer to be an effective player on the floor. And the fact that his teammates and his coaches made him feel like that during that time that he was playing is the reason why he potentially faking this mental health situation to get up out of there. Because if you think about it from a player perspective, who wants to show up to the gym at practice to play with a bunch of guys who are talking about you, who don't like you, who want you on another team? You can't go into that situation level-headed. You got to take a break because you're going to snap on anybody who says something off that doesn't make sense to what we're doing as a team. So Ben Simmons gets to go to Brooklyn where they actually have the pressure off him because we don't need you to shoot. We got Kyrie. We got Kevin Durant. We need you to slash. We need you to rebound. We need you to defend. That's what every single team needs their point guard to do. Just so happens Ben Simmons is the only one that actually does what point guards are supposed to do. Pass, rebound, and defend. You're not supposed to be scoring hundreds of points. So I like Ben Simmons in this trade. KD's going to make him feel at home. He's not going to have pressure to score, and he's just going to be able to do his thing. Andre Drummond deflects the balls, has uh, the ability to go into fast break situations for the Brooklyn Nets. This allows them to move the ball at a pace to push them into the number one spot in the East. And Seth Curry's a pretty good shooter. Uh, I oh, think man. he'll open up some floor space, take a little, take even more pressure off Ben Simmons. Uh, so, who do you like to win right now in coming out of the East and coming out of the West? West seems kind of easy. You, you got to like Phoenix. Oh, no, 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 no. I think that's a fallacy, too. I think Phoenix is a fallacy because two years ago they wasn't being mentioned. Now, all of a sudden, they walked into this position. They're playing well right now. They have a, a, a great momentum. But I'm looking at the Warriors still. The Warriors, you know, once they get their stride and they get all their players back, there's no not going to be a Phoenix to talk about. And then you got Brooklyn. All they need to do is catch drive with passing that mandate up there in New York. Get that mandate up out of here, and you'll see a whole new Brooklyn Nets team because Kyrie will get to play, and we'll we'll get to get back to basketball again. So those two teams have the best dynamic of making it there. There'll be the Bucks that'll give a run. Chicago will give a run. Um, Phoenix will give a run. Utah maybe will give a run. But there's nobody matching up with the Warriors of Brooklyn right now on paper. You know, we never know what's going to happen. But on paper, those two are favorites. Los Angeles Lakers, Hollywood, LeBron James. I know they got the bubble title. 
but I, I consider Hollywood James a failure. Yes. Too harsh? No, not in this particular scenario. You don't go to the Los Angeles Lakers after Kobe Bryant retires to try to eradicate his legacy and then you bring this shit with you? It's an embarrassment. I know James Worthy pissed. I know Magic Johnson's pissed. And secretly, Shaquille O'Neal's pissed, but he got to have LeBron's back at this point. They brothers, everybody in this little tight little brotherhood, they got to have his back. But this is obviously a big L for LeBron. Like, Russell Westbrook came in. You could have had different players to give you a different element, but you chose to go Hollywood. Then you brought an unreliable player like AD into the play that just can't stay healthy to give you that mm, that you need to get over the hump to keep people off your back. Because the one thing we know about mental health in LeBron James is when the heat is hot, he is out of there. He is out of there. So if you look at it now, he's starting to get that heat on his back. He's trying to figure out where the exit is. Yeah, I don't know if he can go to any other <laughs> any more teams, uh, but who knows? He may try to steal one more title. Whoever wins this year, maybe he'll join join them next year. Uh, Rashad, great job. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, TJ Moe is going to help me talk about uh, Mike McDaniel and some NFL issues. It's my obligation on hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to St. Louis, the at the state of Missouri, the Show Me State, and bring in the Show Me Kid, T.J. Moe. Uh, T.J., I, I want to start with Mike McDaniel, the new head football coach of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he had his first press conference and was asked the race question that all the media has talked about incessantly. I thought his response was, fascinating, impressive, real. Uh, you know, he didn't belabor it, but I just thought he made his point very well, and I wish more people talk like him. Let, let's watch the clip. Um, your ethnicity has been a topic of conversation since uh, your hiring. I wanted to ask, um, how's your experience growing up as how you identify? Um, how, how has that experience been, and do you think getting a job like this set as sets an example for people just like you who have the same life experiences yeah it, it's been very odd to tell you the truth this idea I, of identifying as something um, you know I think people identify me as something but I identify as a human being uh, it, it, and my dad's black so whatever you want to call it um, I know there's a lot of people with a shared experience but it doesn't make you know it, I'm just it's weird that it comes up because the, the you know, I've, I've just tried to um, be a good person and I think, I think my background opens my eyes a little bit. Um, I don't have any um, real experience with, with racism because, you know, I, I think you identify me as something close to, I don't know. Um, but 
I know my, my mom experienced it when she uh, married my dad. I know my dad experienced it, and that's in my family, but um, I guess that makes me a, a, a human being that can identify with other people's problems. Awesome answer, honest answer, uh, not what the media wanted to hear. Do you think uh, he might pay a little price for, for basically going the Tiger Woods route? Uh, you know, he's black and Asian, uh, or not black and Asian, he's black and white, I'm sorry. Tiger Woods was, said Coblin Asian. But uh, I, I'm just wondering if the media is going to leave him alone about this topic now, or will they keep picking at it? They're probably going to keep picking at it. What's interesting is that I don't think people knew that his dad was black and his mom was white. I tried to look it up because we had been we had been um, during when they're making the rounds. People said, "Well, he is multiracial." It has been talked about so little in his life that people didn't even know anything about it, which is a very good thing. I mean, I, I said this to you when I first came on the show months ago. Morgan Freeman kind of said uh, he was on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace and he said, you want to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it so much. If everything's about race, you're going to be hypersensitive about race. And so, you know, when uh, I tweeted about this yesterday because I loved it, I thought it was a brilliant answer. A um, an honest answer coming from a genuine person um, who was trying to think it through. I also loved that you could see that he was thinking it through at the podium because he doesn't spend his time thinking about that. That's a very good thing. We should all stop thinking about race so much all the time. But um, I tag Sage Steele, who's obviously dealt with the same stuff. And she basically, you know, she she retweeted and, and said more or less, this is so simple that my dad is black. My mom is white. I'm biracial. That's it. I could never imagine picking one. And it got me thinking, you know, you, you go down this road and, and I got when I tweeted uh, what I did that I applaud that. And, and basically, you don't get to identify as anything. You are. You don't identify as a boy or, or a girl. You either are a boy or you're a girl. No different. Do you have a black mom, uh, a, a black mom and a white dad? Biracial. That's it. And so I said that and people said, yeah, you mean like how your white ancestors deemed anybody with one drop of black blood as black? First of all, uh, blood is not black. So we could start there. But but more importantly, <laughs> we have all decided we should move past that. Yeah. And so what's it is super interesting that white people like me are sitting here with open arms applauding Sage Steele and Tiger Woods and Mike McDaniel and whoever wants to just say, yeah, I'm not I'm not really anything. I'm just I'm Mike. That's a great thing. And so it did get me thinking about just what an unbelievably terrible position we're putting specifically biracial kids in. I mean, think about it. They are sitting there again at, at seventh grade, eighth grade. You're getting into having these type of conversations. Maybe you're, you're you know, broaching adulthood and you have parents who have sacrificed their time, their money, their energy, their attention to love you unconditionally. And and we're saying we don't care. You need to pick one. You need to cast one of them aside because of what white people did several generations ago that we're still mad about. Cast one of them aside and you need to pick one. And we're going to keep talking about this until you do. What an unbelievable disservice to these kids. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's like they want to hold on to this one drop rule deal. And that's something bigots came up with. 
And it's the same deal as like bigots came up with the N word. And let's hold on to that. And let's make, you know, we own now own that word. And so it's like whatever racist white people did, there seems to be a group of black people and white liberals who want to repeat that and hold <laughs> on to it. It's mind boggling. The thing I really loved about what Mike McDaniel said, TJ, is <clears throat> that and maybe he has a little bit more liberty because I think most people see Mike McDaniel and just assume he's white and just keep mm-hmm. it moving. And, and, but, but, but what he basically said was, hey man, my mother and father went through some things that I didn't. And the, I, there are so, my mother and father, Jason Whitlock's mother and father, went through some things that I didn't. Now, does that mean I never saw people mistreated along racial lines? Did I occasionally experience being mistreated because I was black? Absolutely. But compared to what my mother and father experienced and their parents experienced, I've dealt with some assholes, for lack of a better description, and I've been an asshole. Again, I talked about this, I believe, on Wednesday in terms of like, man, I've done some effed up stuff. I used to be a meathead that, you know, could bench press 500 pounds and love to, you know, be kind of an idiot. And so there are some people, this wasn't a racial thing, but I I think I've told this story before. I remember I got liquored up at Ball State and there was a girl that uh, used to help me out academically and at the end of the semester, uh, she was gonna help me out in other ways. And we met up at a, uh, I worked at a popular bar and uh, as the bouncer my last year, and she came that night, and that night we were supposed to go home. I get all liquored up. And she's dancing with a kid that she went to high school with. And I'm drunk and think like, hold up. I think she's fitting to go home with him. I beat the kid up, TJ. It's one of the most embarrassing, dumbest things I've ever done. It was a little white dude that was probably 170 pounds. It was embarrassing. I mean, the next day when I woke up, I was embarrassed. I, you know, apologized. I tried to make restitution to the dude. I certainly, I blew the fun that I was supposed to have that night. She basically <laughs> never spoke to me again. Uh, and so it, 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 it's, it's th- that kid could be somewhere, say, oh my God, I had this racial incident at Ball State and this guy, Jason Whitlock, and he's on TV now. I promise you, it wasn't racial. It was me being an idiot and being drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so things like that, people, you know, have encounters in grocery stores or at restaurants or whatever, where people are mean to them, disrespectful or whatever, it doesn't always have to be racist. It, it, can, it can just be, that person had a bad day, that person's a bad person, that, that person is in a bad place mentally right now. So I just, Mike McDaniel, that's one of the realest things I've seen and I wish that other people Uh, would recognize like, hey man, yeah, America used to be like really racist. It's a lot less racist now. And 
uh, most people, I'm just to abhor racism and, and, yes. and shout down anybody that remotely shows signs of being racist. I'll give you, and I could be going too far here, but I, I'm telling you, me and my friends, uh, you know, we're all in our mid 50s. And we just sit here and go, are you looking at this thing these kids got called Tinder, where they're just swiping right and left and hooking up and blah, blah, blah. And back in, and, and they're doing it across racial lines. They're doing everything. And it's like, back in our day, if somebody was dating across racial, it was a big deal. Everybody talked about it. Parents were upset on both sides. All that stuff has gone away virtually. No, I, you'll see somebody, you'll see some dude married. I, look, I'm just telling you, back in my day, like the white chick to mess with brothers, all the white dudes, well, I ain't never touching her again. I never date. Man, it, they getting married. It, it, it's just, I, I, Listen, Jason, Mike McDaniel, that, hats off to you. That yeah. is cool. Numbers 12, Moses had an interracial marriage and Miriam and Aaron came forth and said something about it. And God gave Miriam leprosy for seven days. He said, don't you ever talk like that? Go read it. It's in Numbers 12. So God himself approves of interracial marriage and is opposed to those who are against it. You know, this is biblical stuff. And so, you know, we have moved to a rather good place where we are, we are realizing MLK's dream. And that is that we are looking at each other based on the content of their character. Jason, you and I got a hell of a lot more in common than me and any white liberal. A white liberal that's 31 years old and looks exactly <laughs> like me. We got nothing in common. And so, uh, you know, it's what I think is happening. It's 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 pretty easy. The the people before who were against what the one drop rule, right? Like that's a terrible thing. We we all today agree on that. Did not used to be that way, of course. And so. We move to the place where we do all agree on it and the the manipulators don't want it to go away. They use it as a reminder so that they can still use it as a club to wield at you to get you to do whatever they want. And that is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what people who look like you did several generations ago. And therefore, you better listen to what I say or else you two are a racist. I mean, they're the ones keeping it alive while the rest of us are moving on. All right, TJ, I don't know what the jumping off point is or how to get there, so I'm just going to go directly to your point. I know you want to make a point about coaches commanding respect versus demanding respect. Re refresh my memory on what the tie or what the jumping off point was for that point and go ahead and make it. Well, you spent a lot of time talking about Brian Flores in the last several weeks. And so you and I had a chance to, to talk about it at least once, maybe twice. But I've continued to think about it as you've continue, continued to look at it from different angles. I think Brian Flores felt so disrespected by the John Elway meeting that he says that they, they came hammered and weren't paying him any attention. And, and it was obvious they were out drinking the night before. And also the text from Bill Belichick that said he was more or less the, the Rooney rule in the Giants interview, I think he decided I'm not getting respect, so I'm going to burn the whole thing down. Truly, I think this lawsuit is not about fairness or helping future black coaches to succeed. I think Brian Flores felt so disrespected. The lawsuit's about getting respect that he can't command himself. And so that is where I think the problem is. You know, the, the, I was around the same person that he was that has commanded respect better than anybody 
that I've ever been around. His name was Bill Belichick. When Bill walked into a room, you could hear a pin drop. And it wasn't just, hey, let's straighten up, you know, don't cuss. No, it was, what's Bill going to do or say? Does Bill need something? What can we do? I mean, and that isn't because Bill ever told me I needed to do that. It's because he commanded respect. And there's a huge difference between commanding and demanding respect. And you only demand respect when you can't command it. Dr. Christian Conti is a mental health expert. He defines it this way. To demand respect is to tell others you will respect me or otherwise threaten or punish those who do not act according to your wishes. To command respect is to have others observe and admire your actions of their own volition. So in other words, I choose to respect you based on your actions versus you saying it doesn't matter what I do, you're going to respect me. And so Brian Flores was obviously not getting the respect that he desired when he walked through the door. So he filed a lawsuit in order to demand this respect. I mean, there are certain characteristics of somebody that commands respect. Jason, you do this very well, having having been around. Somebody who's confident, not looking for affirmation or approval from others, they just are who they are. They're competent, typically very high achievers, willing to do whatever it takes, usually very self-aware, introspective, thoughtful people, and they have self-respect. And people who have self-respect typically lead you to have that same respect for them. You know, one of the definitions of respect is to consider worthy of high regard. Okay, so if you're not being respected, you need to look inside. What are you doing that's not worthy of being held in high regard and where could you improve? And I think what's happened here is so unfortunate because I had I had such high hopes for Brian Flores. When you ask yourself, why am I not being respected? And you come to the conclusion that it's an external factor outside of something you can control. You will never command respect. You have no chance. You've just stunted your growth because you refuse to look at yourself, what you could do to become the person that could command respect. Instead, you are trying to strong arm other people into respecting you when you are obviously not doing what it takes to command that respect. So you go down that road, your growth is done, and so are your hopes of ever commanding respect. So this next point, uh, I'm not going to directly connect to Brian Flores uh, because you know, I, I'm not 100%, but I, I want to connect it to this whole conversation we keep having about uh, NFL leadership. And I've, I've been hammering this point all week. I, I just, last night I came up with a different, another layer in terms of we keep this diversity, inclusion, and equity stuff that it's our highest priority, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and I'm listening to Goodell and the media and everybody talk about this. And I'm like, if I'm the owner of a team or if I'm a head coach of a team, I want to hire people in uh, influential positions who share my values. Again, I'm trying to create a culture as a team owner or as a head coach, I have a set of values that I want expressed throughout the team to create this culture and the value. And, and this is the question I, I'm asking, because there's a reason why, you know, as a fallback, I think the Texans hired Lovey Smith. He's 63. They hired David Culley the year before at 66. These are older black dudes who share the values of the ownership of the Houston Texans 
or what they perceive to be their values. These guys that are 50 and younger, and particularly the millennial generation, it's like, and you know, again, I said I wasn't going to hook Brian Flores in this, but I think all of these coaches across the NFL, the black assistant coaches, need to ask themselves, are your values in alignment with the people you want to give you a job? Because I can guarantee you this, if, let's, and, and I'm not signaling this person out, it's just a name that came to my head. If, Brian, if Byron Leftwich ever owns an NFL team, he's going to pick a coach who shares his values. He's not going to sit there and care about race or anything like that. He's going to be, does this guy share my values? And as, these, as black people have further and further and further aligned themselves with the far left, the secular left, the victimhood left, are we aligning our values outside the values of the people who own the team and have every right to want to hire people who, who share their values? And so again, when, when we sit around and talk about offense and defensive coordinators on staffs, the head coach, because those Jobs are so influential and they're dealing with half the team. The head coach wants those assistants to share his values. Now, when they go to hire an equipment manager uh, or some, a non-essential, non-influential person, they could care less about their values. You want to be a hardcore leftist who thinks America and all white people are racist? No problem. Go ahead and sweep the floor pick up uh, people's jock straps or whatever. But head coach, team president, general manager, if you're coming into that situation, America's a steaming pile of white supremacy, and you think that owner wants to make you the expression of his values? Good luck with that. Mm. Yeah, I, I love your point about the older generation I think there's a huge difference. You you know this, and you're I mean you are one generation prior to me, and Lovey's maybe a half a generation above you here. The older generation actually was the victim, and they were taught they needed to overcome. The younger generation, they're not victims. They've just been taught they're the victims, so they can't overcome. You know, it's like it's like you put somebody in a room that that they tell them they can't escape from, right? Even if there's doors, if you beat them down mentally enough, they think they're stuck in this room. Whereas you tell somebody else, hey, all the doors are locked, but you better find your way out. That is a very different thing. And so it is a mindset. I mean, it, it, no different than, than what we've watched for, for all of history. There are people that can overcome in terrible situations, and there are other people that don't think they can overcome, even though they're in very easy situations. I think that's what we're seeing. TJ, thank you. Uh, you got a Super Bowl pick? Uh, unfortunately, it's the Rams. I'm going to root like hell for the Bengals. I have a serious, uh, I have a serious problem with the Rams after they left my city. Although they did just give us about nine hundred million dollars, so we'll spend that well. But uh, Aaron Donald, Von Miller are going to be way too much for a Bengals team that let up nine sacks against the your Tennessee Titans that uh, lost in the first round there. So I will say Rams, although begrudgingly. 
All right, uh, get your Fearless Army swag, shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. All right, Steve Kim is just around the corner. We're going to get into some more Super Bowl talk and some Hall of Fame talk. Next. All right, time to roll out to Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve, I, I just want you to know uh, I'm about to explode on this <laughs> Hall of Fame deal. I'm going to try to be respectful uh, to the guys that just made it in, you know, I'm, I'm friends with, friendly with Dick Vermeil. I'm happy Dick Vermeil made it. Uh, I, I don't, he, he's not the person or persons I'm mm. most upset about uh, making the Hall of Fame. But uh, listen to this group. <clears throat> uh. Richard Seymour, uh, New England Patriot, defensive lineman, he was on three Super Bowl winning teams, I think, may have played in five Super Bowls. Uh, Sam Mills, the undersized uh, linebacker. Uh, Cliff Branch, wide receiver with the old Oakland Raiders. Uh, Leroy Butler, safety with the Green Bay Packers. And Tony Baselli. <clears throat> mm. uh, Jacksonville Jaguars offensive lineman, career cut short, six-time Pro Bowl. Tony Baselli was certainly on his way to the Hall of Fame, if not for injuries. He was a great player, uh, Hall of Fame quality player. But when you play offensive line, generally speaking, you know, that's a 15-year position, you know, with 10, 12, 13 Pro Bowls and first-team All-Pro, whatever. Steve, I'm someone that grew up fantasizing, dreaming about being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. My mother can tell you every summer in August when that first Hall of Fame football game would come on and they'd show the highlights of guys, uh, Hall of Fame speeches. I used to practice my Hall of Fame speech. Going to Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, one of the great experiences of my life. They're ruining it by putting in all of these very good players who just aren't Hall of Famers. How can, and I'm sorry for calling these people out, I, I really am, because I don't want to be disrespectful, but how can Cliff Branch be in the same Whoa. room with Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, Michael Irvin, how? Hmm. Cliff Branch, how? Steve Largent, how can he be in the same? They're diminishing what Jerry Rice and these guys did. You can't, I, I, I'm just sorry, you can't, Bryant Young, you can't put him in the same room with Warren Sapp. You can't put him there with Mean Joe Green, with John Randall, with Bob Lilly. You can't do it. You're diminishing what these truly Hall of Fame players did and accomplished. Leroy Butler, he's in the same room with Ed Reed, Paul Krause. 
I just, I'm just, you can't do it. It's driving me crazy. And I'm going to tell you why and how they've done it. <clears throat> About 15 years ago, the criteria for getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame changed. They ca- everybody now talks about it. They came up with this theory of, can you tell the st- story of the NFL without telling that person's story? Steve, I've been following the Hall of Fame since I was a child. No one ever described the Pro Football Hall of Fame as some storybook narrative that people had to fit in. Can you tell the story without this guy? It was about, were you a dominant beast of a player who at one time made people go, oh my God, this may be the greatest linebacker I've ever seen. This may be one of the greatest receivers I've ever seen. That was the criteria. You know why they changed it? So they could have female voters. So you don't have to know a damn thing about football are you a good storyteller? Oh, yeah, you can't, because again, this, this, you can't tell the story of the hogs, the, you can't tell the story of the NFL without mentioning the hogs. And so therefore, and I can't, is, I'm having this brain fart of this Washington Redskins offensive lineman they put in the Hall of Fame Joe because Jacoby, he was on the hogs. Russ Grimm, no, not one Jacoby, of those guys. Russ, Russ Grimm, Grimm. Russ Grimm. They put Russ Grimm, in, the guy played in four Pro Bowls. But he was a member of the Hogs, and they had to have someone there from the Hogs. And so if you got a good nickname and you come up with a nickname, that's a good way of getting yourself into the Hall of Fame or getting considered. They just, I'm just, Sam Mills, I'm just, I I like Sam Mills. He's not Ray Lewis. He's not Dick Buckus. He can't be in the same room with these guys. Jason, couple thoughts. You got me thinking, and by the way, I'll push back on Cliff Branch a little bit later. Um, But you got me thinking about when me and you grew up, we're not that far apart in age, but you're right. When the Hall of Fame game was on, it was always on ABC on a Saturday afternoon. And then the induction ceremony, they would show snippets of every speech. About what, 15, 16, 17 years ago, they moved it to night. It was a Saturday night. The ceremony was by itself and the game was nationally televised now, I think, on NBC, right? So once the Hall of Fame induction and that whole weekend became a television show, they now had a need to make sure that there was more players involved to fill a window. I've seen this happen in boxing where they, they, if they only have two or three boxers, you can't sell tickets, you can't do the autograph booth. So once this thing became a full-blown production and television became a huge component of it and you want different parts of the world or, or the country to be represented, like, hey, we got to get a West Coast guy, so let's get Brian Young in. We need a Midwestern player, so let's get Leroy Butler. I think that's a part of it. Now, as for Cliff Branch, speed kills. I know his stats aren't great, but I have to ask you this. Did you think Lynn Swan belonged in the Hall of Fame? Yay or nay on him? Okay, at least you're consistent, because if you look at Cliff Branch's numbers across the board— they're much better than Lin Swan. He played in three Super Bowls. And his stats, to me, he played in an era where there was no empty calories as it related to playing wide receiver. You could get decapitated back then. They could play bump and run for 50 yards, and they could hit you across the face, and they'd laugh at you. Cliff Branch was a big-time, big-game 
clutch player. I actually don't mind him or Dick Vermeil. The guy went to two Super Bowls with two different franchises, left a great team in uh, St. Louis, and he came up with the term burnout. Just for that, he should be in some sort of Hall of Fame. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Dick Vermeil making a Hall of Fame. I do know Mike Holmgren has a problem with Dick Vermeil making it there before <laughs> yeah. him. Dick Vermeil took two teams to two different teams to the Super Bowl. He played, he coached in three, had a higher regular season winning percentage than Dick Vermeil. Mm. I got no problem with Dick Vermeil being in the Hall of Fame, but maybe some other candidates. I, I think you've just made an excellent point though about how it's now a TV show and you need yeah. more actors from around the country. It's a, it's a great point. And then I'm just telling you, they changed the selection criteria. Oh, everybody, I had a Hall of Famer call me this morning talking about this whole thing about can you tell the story without blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how do we come? I thought it was about playing football. Yeah, Jason. And, and I'm talking about, there's a Hall of Famer that's like, hey, man, this is crazy. These people, they letting in next to us. They're, they're taking I mean, the shine off the gold jacket. Yeah, Jason, you're right. I mean, the NFL Hall of Fame used to be like Studio 54. It was hard to get behind that velvet rope and into the club. And now it's like Applebee's on a Friday night. You want to have a little bit of scarcity and you want to make it for the elite of the elite. Here's the problem with the story of the league, uh, that whole argument. Tony Boselli, I remember watching him at USC in his sophomore year. And I said, that guy is going to be a 10-time pro bowler. Here's the problem. What I remember most about his career was shutting down Bruce Smith early on in a playoff game in his third year. And I said, wow, that guy's unbelievable. Four years later, he was the number one pick in the expansion draft of the Texans. Never played another game. Career was completely truncated. Bryant Young, very stout inside player defensively. I thought most of his success came in the first five years. Sam Mills, longevity, the Dome Patrol. Ricky Jackson was a Hall of Famer. And a nice run at the end by the Panthers. But here's the problem. If Sam Mills gets in, and um, congratulations to him, when does London Fletcher get the call? That's the question. And Leroy Butler, you know, Butler was a Zach very Thomas. Person. When does Zach Thomas get in? When does Zach Thomas with the Dolphins? Absolutely right, because at the top level, he's in. Here's what I thought, and this is an old line from one of my favorite beer commercials. The fact that Andre Johnson, Devin Hester, and Reggie Wayne, that none of them got in, and yes, I'm being very biased for the U, could not get in at all because you could you cannot talk about the story of the league without Devin Hester and how he changed the game in a lot of ways. That's a travesty, a sham, and a mockery. That's a travesty a mockery, and I'm very upset. That's the big story we should have let off with. The exclusion of the UJ. <laughs> all right, I'm not gonna beat up that topic anymore. Uh, <laughs> we should talk our Super Bowl picks. Uh, I think. The Rams are going to win by 17 to 20, 20 mm. points. I think Aaron Donald's going to be the MVP of this game. I think he's going to put the exclamation and make a bid, a case for the greatest defensive player of all time with his Ooh. performance on Sunday. Whoa! Whoa. Uh, the, now, I, I will say this. For me, it'll be hard to surpass uh, Reggie White, uh, but the the, the I'm t the last time did did Ray Lewis win MVP of his first Super Bowl? Yes, he I did. was at that game and he was clearly yes, he the did. most dominant player. 
and so I'm expecting that type of performance from from Aaron Donald. I think the Rams win easy. No disrespect to the Bengals. They got a great future ahead of them. They're just starting out, but they won't have an answer for Aaron Donald and Von Miller and and Matt Stafford will play well enough. Cooper Cup and OBJ will play well enough. Blowout, baby. Uh, Jason, yes, Ray Lewis did win the MVP in his first Super Bowl, but he couldn't go to Disneyland because of uh, Buckhead. Remember that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> your comment about Aaron Donald's going to shock people. You know what? I don't actually disagree with you all that much. I've been thinking about this. Aaron Donald is the only guy that I think can rival Reggie White. And I'll tell you why. If you played Aaron Donald in the 3-4 or in a 4-3 at various spots, he'd always be a pro bowler in any spot, whether he was a, a, a three-technique tackle, whether he was right over the nose. He's one of the few guys that can play inside. Then, Jay, what they do is they actually flex him outside as an edge rusher, and he bends the corner. So he's the combination of Reggie White, who had great versatility, could play nose guard, tackle, and end, and Bruce, uh, Bruce Smith, the greatest edge rusher I've ever seen, He's a combination of both. And I've said this for the last seven, eight years. He's the best pure football gladiator in the world. Now, going to the game, two matchups I'm looking at. Aaron Donald and Von Miller was brought in for this reason. The Bengals for a Super Bowl team, they don't have a great offensive line. That's something that they will address in the offseason. If the Bengals get behind and it becomes a, a complete throw game and Mixon is not allowed to at least establish his game a little bit, you're right. They become even better, the Rams' defense, specifically the two guys that I mentioned. Also, Jamar Chase, obviously a future pro bowler. I wonder what the Rams are going to do defensively with Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey's no longer just a cornerback. They play that star position where he's a bit of a hybrid to make sure he gets involved more in the middle of the field. I wonder if they're going to have him shadow Chase. Those are the two matchups I think are going to be really key. But, Jay, I'm with you. The Rams are the better team. The Bengals are a great story. They're ahead of schedule with Joe Burrow. But this is a home game, and I believe that they will lift the Lombardi Trophy. Thank you, Steve. I got to keep it moving. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, I'm going to talk about the halftime show with Shamika Michelle. We must exist in a state of man glorious, as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible, with freedom, and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. 
I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Our final segment today, Shamika Michelle, uh, gonna help me talk about uh, the Super Bowl, the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show. It's a really big deal, according to everybody. Hip hop, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, they're taking over the halftime. It's going to be satanic. Uh, <laughs> Shamika, I don't know if you saw this, but they had their little press conference uh, yesterday, and I want you to hear, uh, l let's take a listen to what some of the highlights from their press conference yesterday. I'm not trying to be um, egotistical or anything like that, but who else could do this show here in L.A.? No, mm, no one. Know? That's a fact. Who else could perform the halftime show other than these amazing artists that, that we've put together for this, um, for this thing? And not only that, I've been manifesting the Rams since the beginning of the season. The Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event in the world, mm. and hip-hop is the biggest form of music in the world. Yep. And for us to be able to have the opportunity to bring the two worlds together, we got the queen of R&B. Yep. We got the king of hip-hop. Yep. We got just his, all of his, you know, protégés in the place. This is what it's about. This is what hip-hop and the NFL is supposed to be about, representing about change, about moving forward. So we appreciate the NFL for even entertaining hip-hop because we know a lot of people didn't want hip-hop on stage. True that. We're here now and it ain't nothing you can do Thank about you. <laughs> That's part. right. Exactly. And it's going to keep pushing. We're going to open we're going to open more doors for um, hip-hop artists in the future and making sure that the NFL understands that this is what it should have been a long time ago. You understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, we're going to show exactly how professional we can be, how dope we can be on stage, and how Ex how exciting we're going to be to the fans. Mm -hmm. Can we look forward to any surprises? I'm not talking about that, what? but yes. Dang. Yes, uh, but I'm not going to talk about it. So there it. will be surprises. Absolutely. There won't be any wardrobe malfunctions, though, if that's what you're Snoop, you're you so about. silly. Snoop, I'm going to need you to keep your shirt on, all right? I may, I may not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had to talk Snoop and Eminem out of pulling their p***s out. Whoa! Ah! <laughs> I just... Things took a turn. It's especially Eminem. Yeah, so it's going to be very professional, but I had to talk Snoop and Eminem from pulling out their penises. Uh, are you excited about this halftime show? Jason, I have to be honest. I am. <laughs> so, you know, uh, during halftime, I'm going to be right there like, when I met you last night, baby. And then I'm going to be there with, we got lovers true and through and though we made it through the storm. And then I'm going to go to falling back on that act. Where the hell up I gangster lean, getting funky on the mic like an old batch of collard greens. Jason, you know that's my music. So I am going to be excited. One of the things, though, I have to say is that hip hop has come a long way. Like we are a long way from the hip 
hop, the hibbit, the hibbit to the hip, hip hop, you don't stop, a rocket to the bang, bang, boogie say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogity beat. So I think this is a big deal, especially for Dr. Dre. Now, what I do have questions about is why it's being made to seem as if this is something grand for black people. Black people have, black artists have been uh, included in the Super Bowl halftime for a very long time. Even hip hop artists have been in the Super Bowl for a very long time. So I think that it's a little bit dishonest to be pushing this as if this is like some grand gesture for the NFL and this is some big, great deal for black people like we've been excluded from NFL Super Bowl halftimes and that's just simply not true. We've been there since, you know, the 70s with Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, we've been there a very long time. So I think that part is dishonest. I think them making it seem as if, oh, this is the way it should have always been. Well, what do you mean? Because hip hop, although it has grown, there are people that don't listen to it. And there are other genres of music that should still be represented. So I think that part is very dishonest. I thought Big Boy just did the Super Bowl in Atlanta, right? Am I am I wrong? What what? I, I, I thought we just saw hip hop. He was a guest. Who was the feature? You know, I don't know who the feature was, but I do know we've been there. Nelly was there over twenty years ago. Um, Mary J. Blige has been there before, so we've. Hip hop has been there. So I'm not exactly sure why they're making it seem as if this is the first time hip hop has been at the Super Bowl because that's just not true. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to watch it because I want to see what happens. Uh, Dr. Dre, I got to be honest, is one of the only people that ever has made me feel starstruck. <laughs> I, you know, I think the guy is a musical genius. His beats and all that, he can make me and you sound like platinum rappers or singers or whatever. Uh, but I just, I just don't think their particular style is appropriate for this platform. Snoop, uh, Dre, Eminem, just incredibly profane, incredibly X-rated, disrespectful. I mean, look, man, I've I've interacted with Snoop, don't have a problem with him, but I mean, Snoop is what he is. He's, you know, drugs and uh, he beat a murder charge. I'm not saying he did it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. He's very d- diverse, but I, I just, I, he's got some allegations, some lawsuit going on. You know, Dr. Dre, again, I'm telling you, I love the guy's music. He was starstruck, but he beat up D. Barnes. And, you know, to sit here and be like, this is the way it should have always been. You know, here, I, 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 yes, I have beat up women and you know, been a part of some really negative activity, but yes, I should have been on the largest platform. I'm owed this. This was discrimination when I was, you know, get out of here with that. Uh, and so 
I just hope nothing embarrassing happens. And, and you know, I heard Dre say they're going to be very professional. And then 30 seconds later, I hear him talking about, I, you know, I had to talk these guys into pull, not pulling their things out. <sighs> Let me ask you this. What do you think the surprise is going to be? There will be some surprise guest performer. Who do you think that will be? I don't know who I think it would be, but I think it would be great if it could be someone like really old school. I would love to see some of the old school artists come out who would have who never had the chance to do the Super Bowl. I think since this is such a big deal for them and they're saying that they're opening so many doors, I think this would be the perfect time to pay homage to the artists who paved the way for them to even get to be the headliners for the Super Bowl. So that's what I would love to see is some of the older artists, you know, bring out I don't know, Public Enemy or bring out Big Daddy Kane, bring out some of these old rappers that, you know, this they would never have the chance to do this. And I am hoping that they actually come and do this respectfully and that it's great. I mean, a lot of their music has been on the radio, so I do know that they know how to perform or put a version out there that's not laced with profanity or very vulgar and they have a lot of fans of all races so I, I am really cheering for them to actually do this in an honorable way so that they won't make a mockery of you know people like myself that, <laughs> that love their music and so I do want to see them do a good job but for the surprise guests I would love for it to be just giving us some some old uh, hip-hop artists that never had a chance to do it. I'm going to predict Ice Cube's going to take the stage. I would love and, Ice Cube as well. <laughs> and and I, I, I would think that if Ice Cube does take the stage, if they were to do something controversial, it would be F the police. And if that mm. happens, I hope they fire Roger Goodell and anybody responsible for making this happen. Uh, yeah, that would be terrible. I, 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 got, I got three potential, Ice Cube, Ice-T, or Jay-Z. One of those three, I think, uh, takes the stage. That would be the surprise. And the, the, my other, have you been to very many rap concerts? I'm sorry? Have you been to very many rap concerts? They're not any good. Rap is I've good been, on radio um, and in your, huh? During college, we so I I had a chance to see Tupac. Um, yeah, I don't go to very many rap concerts, but I did see Tupac it's and terrible. I had a chance to see Ice Cube. Yeah, it's not good live. It's it's fine on wax. It's fine on your iPhone or iPod or whatever, but it's not good live. All right, well, thank you, Shamika. Uh, you got a Super Bowl pick? I don't want to be sexist. Let me ask you, do you have a Super Bowl pick? Mary J. Blige. <laughs> <laughs> now, Bengals or the Rams, who's winning? Uh, let's go with the Rams. All right, thank you. I'll see you next week. See you then. All right, we'll see we'll see you guys next week as well. I just wanna be I just wanna be